Oh, yeah. So you got a fresh cup of coffee there? You ready to go? Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are back in, I don't even know what the name of this room is, but it's not the Griffiths Conference Room. Studio number one. Northern Seminary, everybody. Theology on Mission. We aren't going to have a boring podcast like we did the last time. Right? I don't think the last one was boring. I think We're not going to like go on for 40 you know minutes why this on an academic discussion for Pete's Do you sake. know why this one is not going to be boring? You want why? me to tell you why? Because we are walking down the halls, and out of nowhere you say to me, I'm a human dynamo. <laughs> I don't know Dude, what that means. I have no idea what that means, but I think it Dude. means we're going to have a good podcast. I'm a human dynamo. <laughs> Dude, as you know... Uh, I've been fasting today, and uh, as you know, I, I all I can say is I'm feeling really good. But you don't have to go on and broadcast everything that goes on in a personal moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, you and me down the hallway, do you? Well, it's not like we were, you know, using the facilities together or something. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Shall I stop? Yeah. I think you better move on. <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, you ready to best, be... By the way, some of the best conversations I've had <laughs> with... Major theologians have been at the urinals. Oh yeah, in a some, bathroom. Some of your best thinking happens. Uh... For instance, <laughs> I had a nice conversation with Miroslav Volf at a urinal. I had I had an interaction with him in the urinal too. Are you kidding me? Where? When was this? This was in Dallas at one of the theology conferences. That's I where at. I had the same conversation. <laughs> were you in the same urinal? Ah, we're the same person. Okay, let's move on, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here. Post Claw and me. Theology on Mission, and he's cracking oh, up. Oh, man. I don't know what just happened. We just had this parallel universe thing. Maybe we're remembering similar things. All right. Hey, are you ready to begin? Absolutely. Let's begin. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God, the church, and everything else. Dave Fitch and myself, Jeff Holskla, are your hosts. All right, Dave, what are we talking about today? Some things have been going down around the world, evangelicals, leaders, megachurch pastors. You are concerned, pastor, theologian, professor, you're concerned about these things. Yeah, so uh, last week, um, a guy named Kerry Newhoff, Canadian, I believe, um, kind of a leadership uh, coach, leadership guru kind of a guy, has a blog and I think I've never met Kerry, but I think we've run into each other a couple of times or at least run past one another in the hall. Hopefully not having the same kind of episode you and I just talked in about. In the hall, <laughs> scare quotes. No, but I, I've, I know who Kerry is. And anyways, um, he had a blog post last week uh, entitled Some Thoughts About the Recent Exit of Two Megachurch Pastors. And the two pastors he was talking about were uh, Pete Wilson of Cross Point Church in Nashville, I believe, and Perry Noble of New Spring Church. And uh, so both of them left their churches under tough circumstances, and their departures had a lot of people talking. And so um, did you read that blog post by any chance, Jeff? Yes, I did. But yeah. Tell us about it. Well, um, Gary suggested three things, and uh, it kind of left me – I'm not – I'm not trying to be critical of any one person, especially Kerry, but I want to just think about what does this mean for leadership? Kerry said uh, three things, three thoughts, uh, and he offered three three thoughts that he offered in hope of, you know, that we might learn something 
uh, from the episodes of Perry and Pete and other church leaders, there's been other church leaders, several other church leaders of large churches who are leaving because of either burnout or excessive coercive authority in their ministry. Um, and of course, there's there's been some that have left out of either moral failure or some kind of a financial indiscretion. So he offers three thoughts. He says, one, pastors aren't fake. The struggle is real. And so what he asks us to do is uh, is be sympathetic towards a megachurch pastor when they resign because of burnout because we all uh, feel that way or have that experience at some point at some points in our lives. And um, this doesn't mean they're fake or anything, but this just means they're struggling like the rest of us. The second point he makes is it's hard to lead anything. And so just recognize how hard it is. Have sympathy for these pastors as they, quote, face pressures non-leaders don't always understand. He's pleading, I think, for more understanding and empathy for these megachurch pastors who sometimes get unduly criticized for their failures. His third point is God loves and use, uses broken people. Uh, again, the the, uh, the title of this blog post is Some Thoughts About the Recent Exit of Two Megachurch Pastors by Kerry Newhoff from last week. And, and his point there is, are Perry and Pete broken? Yes, and so am I, so are you. Everyone's broken, and God uses broken people. Um, and so we too should be sympathetic, understanding, offer grace and healing to broken uh, people who uh, run into their brokenness in this particular way when they get burned out. And I wanted to say, so he's um, kind of reminding us that these are human beings, and life is hard, and uh, and God uses broken people, right? So this, uh, it's pretty reasonable in one sense to kind of note that. Like any or large organization, a large mega church, uh, is 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 hard to do. And so, so he's, he's tr- in one sense he's kind of pointing out the obvious, but he's trying to help uh, humanize kind of the situation, yeah. right? Yeah, I think the uh, the uh, predilection, the default uh, response to so often mega churches having these difficulties, uh, whether it be just plain exhaustion or whether it be some other kind of moral failure, the the default is to get angry, uh, especially if you've been under the leadership of this person and you felt that you uh, were in some way deceived, looking up for moral guidance, pastoral guidance, theological guidance from this person in the pulpit, and therefore you're, ma- you're angry. And I think, rightfully so, Carrie is pointing out in this blog post that these are real people struggling and we ought to have empathy, grace, and care for these people who are leading Christ's church. Amen to that, and which is absolutely true. But And you know what? I can sympathize with everything he just said uh, as having led churches, and you too absolutely. as having led churches, and we're leading church now, but we're leading it in a little bit different way. And I think the three things he said is true for any pastor, not a mega church pastor. The struggle is real. No matter the size of the church, leading is hard. And no matter the size of the church, God uses broken people, and that's something we can all rejoice in. But it, He's kind of missing a layer there, right? He's kind of missing a level of maybe what is going on here. Is well, he individualized. If we were to give advice to megachurch pastors, what would it be? Yeah, and I, I, okay, so I wrote this book, The Great Giveaway, and I admit this is like 12 years ago when I was, I was a little a, bit. A little angry, Dave? 
Angry Dave. Yeah, a little Angry Dave back yeah. then, a decade ago. And I said some things like, uh, when going from 50 to 1,000 members is the sign of a sick church. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I asked the question, is the way leadership is shaped and formed by the evangelical church, where we place this individual, most of the time a male, into, into a, up on a pedestal, and, and we kind of make him into an image, and now he's leading out of this image, and he's attracting all these people to this image, is this not a rep- recipe for disaster? And so my, my uh, response to all this, uh, especially to Carrie's post, is can't, shouldn't we now ask a second or third layer of the question? And that third, second layer, let's go one layer at a time, uh, that second layer should probably look something like this. What is it that we are doing structurally in the way we are managing and gathering people to a church that leads to this kind of burnout or failure Again and again and again, because as we know, this happens at least, I would say on average, four to five times a year in a church of 5,000 or more. Right. And so uh, instead of just looking at the person and kind of naming their humanity and, uh, you know, their burnout, the potential, the potential for that, we're asking, is there something about maybe the institution? Can we move from the individual to this institutional structure and ask some questions about whether... Uh, this institution itself is lending it to burning out or disrupting or, you know, these other moral failings and things. Um, right. And actually, in actuality, I'd like to kind of hopefully um, look at, now we can't do it on this podcast, but if you come to Northern Seminary and you take a course on ecclesiology and mission from Dave Fitch and Jeff Holtzclaw, not, not that we got the answers to anything, but what we do try to do is deconstruct all the ways we think about church and all the ways we think about leadership and all the ways we think about the practices of the church and show how we kind of individualized and modernized them and created this monster where we separate the pastor from the congregation to perform certain duties, which the question is, does it just uh, sustain an existing Christian congregation in a way of life that is more part of our culture, or does it actually uh, uh, produce a church, or I shouldn't say produce, does it actually uh, cultivate a body of Christ which is alive, sanctifying, sustaining, flourishing Christian lives together as a way of life and give witness and engage the culture locally one place at a time? And I think if we take a closer look at what's going on in these structures, we have to ask ourselves some questions. Isn't this a symptom, uh, Pete Wilson, uh Perry Noble, um, other... Uh, I forget name. Darren something or no, other. No, we don't want to mention any other oh, yeah, names. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, You know, isn't this a symptom that we maybe should take a look at since it seems to be happen, happening more regularly the larger the church gets? Some people might question me on those statistics, but I think I have, I think I can back it up. Not here on the podcast. Though. All right, well, we don't want to just be a deconstructive show where we kind of gri- uh, gripe about the things we don't like or something like that. And we know plenty of pastors of large churches, and we know churches that do these things well. And so we don't want to just say, oh, every megachurch is bound for failure and things like that. So how about we give your top three advice to a megachurch pastor if they're on the track of burning themselves out and their church is growing or it's large already, what could they do to maybe stem the tide and to transition a little bit in your opinion, Dave? Okay, well, preamble, uh, 
I have gotten the I have received the opportunity over the years to talk to many pastors of large churches, three thousand, four thousand, maybe even twelve, fifteen thousand, and so I don't like put these um, suggestions out there as just cute little ideas. I think that these are really possible, and there are more than a few megachurches seeking to put these into practice in one way or another. My first suggestion is go for mutuality in leadership. Mutuality in leadership. Suggestion number one, mutuality in leadership. Don't put one leader above all the other leaders. Develop a mutuality among many leaders and Manage, operate, sustain, organize um, the church as a body because the church does need leadership as a body and it does need organization as a body. But do it in a polycentric way. Um, Think about the ways that changes the dynamics of megachurch leadership. So can you share power in little ways uh, in your meetings or in the different councils or the structure you have? Can you share the pulpit in different ways to help the congregation understand that this community is led by multiple people, that God speaks through multiple people? Uh, Can you share uh, programming or different kinds of things? Can you put different people in charge and their faces in charge of different things to spread out the leadership, not just figuratively, but in substantial ways to kind of create kind of more of a polycentric leadership so that the, so that the church doesn't expect the pastor to do everything and so that the pastor doesn't internalize that expectation and feel like they need to do everything. Yeah, and, and so, you know, caution about saying, can you share, although somebody will have to lead the polycentric exercise. It's really the church of God and Jesus who orders the leadership of the church, not you. Okay, so if you can say, I would like to participate in the leadership of the church, but I would not like to be the leadership of the church. The leader of the church is Jesus Christ, of which he gifts a manifold group of leaders, all with various gifts, to come together and lead a church. This is what Ephesians chapter 4 says when it talks about apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, uh, to the first five gifts of the church to equip the whole church for leadership in essence. And so we, we... we lead in a polycentric way, one among many. I never take uh, over, although maybe I have some gifts that maybe could be more prominent and, visu- and visible, still, I am only one among many. I believe if you separate the leader from the others, if you separate somebody and put them up, uh, him or her, and it's most often him, uh, and you put them up on a pedestal, they'll become isolated. They will not have a place to work out their life and grow and develop. We're all growing, believe it or not. Pastors need to grow in their sanctification. Yes, Carrie Newhoff, they're not perfect. They're broken, but they too must grow. And you do not grow without confession of sin, without seeing your sin in ways that you didn't see it before because somebody like Jeff Holzglock comes up to you and says, look, dude, you were a jerk to that person at church. Or when you said something, that was the most incredibly stupid uh, racist remark or something like that. And then I become aware of who I am and what I need to confess sin before God and before my people. And out of that, we grow. You isolate somebody above all the other leaders, you remove that place of growth and sanctification in Christ. And then worse, 
if you move that person up above all the other leaders, there's this incredible pressure to be perfect, to lead with an authority based on either expertise or this image that I've got it together and you can't be vulnerable. And this all is a recipe for um, burnout, exhaustion. I can't keep this image up. It ain't me. All right. We were getting a little taste of that angry Dave there, but that was good. The prophetic, the prophetic Dave. So, so mutuality and leadership, mutual submission, polycentric leadership. Now, uh, Carrie Newhoff said that leadership is hard. The struggle is real. If you want to enter into something that's hard and a struggle, it's sharing your leadership. That is the toughest work. Okay. This is where I, I disagree with you. A leader could do it's the toughest internal work. It's good work. But it's you got to get over your ego. You it's start tough if you got to. It's, you it's tough to, if you not have. You have to be open handed and trust God yeah. to actually be at work in other people besides yourself. I'll tell you what's tough: having to be perfect in front of a group of people every week. I'll tell you what's tough: having to lead this church into your own and, and convince everybody of your vision. What about Jesus being it's, in charge? God's vision, Jesus, and you're just you're just uh, being there, a facilitator or participant. Uh, that's Maybe you consider that tough, but I consider that a joy to walk through the suffering with God's people. Oh, sorry if I've gone on. You just turned that around on me. That was awesome. All right, so that's the first uh, advice to a megachurch pastor. The second piece of advice to the megachurch pastor. Disperse the gatherings. What? Disperse the gatherings? All right, yeah, one gathering, uh, putting all the spotlight on one gathering uh, every Sunday, maybe five services on a weekend. Uh, creates this pressure uh, that that builds that this thing has got to be a success because frankly it's the generator of the energy of the church and and it also increases this uh, urge this this temptation to manage an image and because it's all focused on this one gathering instead disperse go local incarnational gatherings every church can do this i don't care if you're 12 people if you're 120 people or you're 12,000 people, you can disperse gatherings locally. Now, granted, it's leading that is going to be a challenge because most people want an easy to come to, easy to leave, no um, uh, something that'll fit regularly in their lives. No really? strings attached, no preparation needed, nothing asked for you afterwards. Right. So we have, but but here's the other side of that coin. People long to be known, long to be loved, long to know, long to love other people. People, the, you, you remember in the old days, even before I was born, Andy of Mayberry sitting in the living room around the table, families sharing friendships with people in the neighborhood every week. Now, I'm not saying Andy of Mayberry was perfect and one of the problems was it was an all-white, evidently an all-white neighborhood with the occasional minority visitor. But the point is that was part of understanding you hung out on the front porch with the neighborhoods, with the neighbors, yet getting to know them and be known. And that's life. That's where life takes place. So we need local incarnational gatherings. To do that, we need to develop leadership, everyday leadership out of communities that sit around tables and share life and reconcile with one another and proclaim the gospel over one another and pray for their neighborhoods. Disperse. Don't make it all about the attractional gathering. I think I think churches ought to just totally uh, 
not totally. Forget the forget the word totally. <laughs> uh, they ought to uh, diminish the importance of the attractional gathering and make more important local incarnational gathering. Something Bruxy Cavey says a lot at his church in the Toronto area is: if you're going to make a choice between going to your local house gathering and coming to the big, the bigger uh, Sunday morning attractional gathering, go to the house gathering. Don't come to this attractional gathering until you've been to the house gathering. Because that's where real life takes place. That's where God works around the tables. By All the right, way, so other mega churches, Bruxy oh. Cavey's big uh, church. I don't know how many it is, but probably a meeting house, over yep. 2,000 and maybe 3,000. I don't know how big it is. But for Canada, it's a mega church. Uh, the Northland Church in or- Orlando, they call it a church distributed. They're working on these tasks. I just talked to a pastor today in Ohio who's doing this. It can happen. Yeah, you might take... Um, a hit on attendance, weekly attendance, but I doubt, what, what, how should I say this nicely? I doubt it's going to make a difference in your offerings. How about that? Well, that's what I, well, that's a different topic. We'll say that. So first one is disperse the leadership. The second one is disperse the gatherings or the places of community. What is the third piece of advice for megachurch pastor? Well, in summary, don't let one person become a celebrity. Don't let one person drive the vision. Avoid making it about the one man and mostly often. It's always the man. Most often. It's a man. You don't see women leading mega churches too often. So for charismatic, Pentecostal. Sometimes. Prosperity but gospel share, churches. Share the preaching. Share. You said share. Uh, participate in mutual leadership in preaching. In business meetings, mutual leadership. When we held, I'm not at Life in the Vine anymore where you're now uh, one of the pastors, but at business meetings, we never allowed one person to handle all the business meeting. We, we let the person most capable of being an organizational thinker lead, and then you would call on uh, the apostle or other people to address certain topics. Share everything. Invite women into the pastoral team, not as one underling, but as a part of a mutual team, because women always disrupt the hierarchies of men, which is one reason why Amen. I think women are so important to the, to the leadership of a church. All right, so mutuality and leadership, dispersed gatherings, don't become a brand celebrity. Yeah. Keep yourself from becoming a brand. Something Carrie says in this post, and Carrie, I hope you get a few, at least a few clicks more on this post, and we help your ministry as well. But he says, uh, I want to develop the practice of getting the help I need before I need it. In other words, as a pastor, go to your counselor regularly. I think counselors are good. But I think even more important is meeting around the table every week with a group of 12 to 15 other people and sharing your life openly, becoming good friends. And this is, not, this is not with other pastors. This is with people who are living the Christian life in your neighborhood. And, and yeah, that's where, my, that's where I save $125 a week. For, for that, for an hour for a counselor. Because these people speak into my life, and at least we're, we're starting this all over again now at Peace of Christ, now that we no longer are at Life in the Vine. And, and uh, I hope that it develops into that kind of rich dialogue and fellowship that will always benefit me as much as anyone else by just being around the table. All right. Well, excellent. Those are the three advices, 
three pieces of advice for megachurch pastors to keep them from burning out. I don't want it come sounds, to you from Dave it sounds, Fitch. It sounds too uh, ostentatious, presumptive. To I know. Say I'm trying advice. to be. I'm, I'm trying giving, to be provocative. I'm, I'm not trying. giving advice to the megachurch. I probably need more advice from anybody out there. But those are just the ways I think about church, and I would like us to think about the struggles of megachurch pastors a little more intentionally, um, and give them grace, give them mercy, like Carrie so wisely advises. But let's go to the next step and ask why is this happening and what can we do about it all right well this week we do not or not this week rather this episode uh, we're kind of doing an extra episode here because dave will be out of town next week and so uh there's no theology gone bad that we're going to be doing right now that'll be coming up on the next episode where we'll be talking about theology gone bad and leadership continuing the theme i have yet but we do have uh i'm yet to be convinced by this theology gone bad Routine. Dude, it just got started, man. I'm gonna. Uh, we're we're gonna do it. This is all for your book. This is Faithful Presence, the book coming out by University Press, November fifteenth. Amazon.com. All okay. right. See, it's all fun. So hey, so speaking of books, we have enough time for what you reading. So I've been reading uh, Sarah Coakley's book called The New Asceticism. She's a systematic theologian. You know, I still believe systematics is a good thing. But she also writes about mysticism and asceticism. So she has a book called The New Asceticism. And it's all about prayer, obviously, but also about the body, sexuality, and desire and how they all fit together. So it's uh, super interesting. We're about halfway done. She has so many insightful thoughts and things. So that is The New Asceticism by Sarah Coakley. What are you reading? Hey, do you ever recommend a book you don't agree with? No, maybe. maybe I don't know. I read books that I uh, find interesting. Well, I'm going to recommend a book that I don't uh, agree with or necessarily agree with everything, uh, but John Flett's Apostolicity book. Ah, yes. Very intense, very, very intense, thick theology book on the nature of mission in the world and the church. How is the church apostolic? And then, of course, the big question is, uh, how do we... How do we not colonize culture of the church when we go and we be present either in our own neighborhoods that are post-Christian or in other cultures entirely, say, across the oceans? And I think it's a really great book because it just goes through all the arguments and it details piece by piece Jensen's Jensen's understanding of extending the culture of the church. Right. Uh, uh, people like uh, J.C. Hokendike and his contributions and um, in the missionary conferences of the post-World War II. If you're interested in that sub, those subjects, I think, by the way, it's really, really important stuff. Um, I encourage you to read this book by John Flett, Apostolicity. It's a little expensive. You may just want to get it out of your library. All right, awesome. Well, speaking of leadership, Northern Seminary is beginning a new demon in transformational leadership, which should be starting either this winter or next summer. So those details will be on our uh, our show notes. So that's a demon in transformational leadership here at Northern Seminary. If you're interested in leadership hey, in the church, if you're a church, if you're a church pastor of any size, you don't need to be a mega church pastor, and you'd love to that's talk for sure. more about these practices. Uh, please check that out. This and, is, and hey, one more thing: have you have you announced theology on mission lectureship for uh, June? You know, I haven't. I have not teased June. our June 2017 uh, lectureship. Yeah, our theology on mission lectureship, which last year was uh, started by Michael Frost. He did a great job talking about mission and theology in the church. Uh, 
But tell me, Dave. Well, this second, next year, second Friday, uh, it's going to be Thursday night, and Friday morning before uh, the second Saturday of June. Or we could just say June 8th and 9th. Are you sure? Because I couldn't remember the actual dates. But Stanley Hauerwas is joining us. Stanley who? Stanley Hauerwas. Folks, Stanley Hauerwas, who Folks, maybe you thought was retired. He's coming to Northern Seminary He's next not June. retired. Stanley will never retire. But anyway, Stanley's going to be with us talking about theology on mission, some of the issues of the ecclesia, the ecclesiology of mission. You know he's pretty strong on ecclesiology. So anyways, we're going to have open Q&A several times. You mark those dates, Thursday night, Friday morning. You want to be here. It's going to be a great time of conversation. All right. Well, this is... Jeff Holsklaw and Dave Fitch signing off from Northern Seminary Theology on the See you next time, everybody. Later.